hello, hello. You've got us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. And we have nothing to talk about today, so we hope you'll stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> Pearl Boyd. My friend Elaine read a book, and I, I never read the book, but the title alone was so inspiring. It was called The Fertile Void. It was a book on creativity, and it was about how good things artistically come out of a state of nothingness. I think so. that's true. I think that we'll have a lot of coronavirus art. People made art even in the days of the Holocaust. That's right. It's just a human need like breathing. It is, and I think that it becomes more necessary the more stressed we get. I just don't think that a state of happiness is always the best ground, the most fertile ground for art. Yeah, a little discomfort can be good. Can be a good thing as long as you don't yes. make a lifestyle out of it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like Van Gogh. <laughs> <laughs> what was I going to say about? Oh, I still think with all the media about the virus, I feel like the mainstream media, if you call it that, is not acknowledging the psychic, emotional stress that we're all yes. under. It's all about yes. the virus itself and the uncertainty. Yeah, and that's true, but. Maybe they are. They're talking about the uncertainty factor, but I don't feel recognized in my You angst. don't feel seen. You don't feel seen in this day of quarantine. <laughs> I have boomer angst and it's not being <laughs> There are occasional, like every other day, pieces in the New York Times. Like today, it was about how to keep your child from going from stress to trauma right. in the days of quarantine. And another one, there's a name for it that I didn't memorize, but there's a condition where people pull their hair out and oh. it's becoming much more more prevalent now that people wow. are sequestered. So there's that. And I, I just think in general, people are suffering. Sometimes zoo animals do that when they're caged. So yes, yes they go. do. Exactly. Uh, oh, is that your shirt with the pineapples on it? Yes, that's my pineapple shirt. That's my favorite shirt of yours. Oh, thank you. I yes. did laundry today. Now, here's, <laughs> here's the weird thing, a nice thing about this strange situation we're all in. Doing a load of laundry suddenly has become a cause for great joy. It's like, oh. It oh, is. Yeah. It's great having Having clean sheets and clean underwear and uh, clean everything. I ordered five new face masks. There was a deal on Slick Deals. I got five. <laughs> You're addicted to Slick Deals. They were on sale. Five washable <laughs> face masks, cloth from, get this, Brooks Brothers. I'm going to be wearing Brooks Brothers face masks. Oh my goodness. I was just listening to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and they talked about the fact that Louis Vuitton and Gucci and all the houses are now making face masks. Isn't that funny? I got an um, email. I only read the subject line. I didn't open it up, but it was from AARP. <laughs> it said, make the perfect face mask from a sock. You can also make the perfect face mask from men's briefs, I've That's heard. I, I saw something about that. Yeah. Yes, and, and women's bras as well. But it has to be the low-rise brief. That's the only way I can see it working. And it has to be, it has to be the ultra mesh from Jockey. I think I there's some cutting involved and sewing. I don't think oh, you just put the whole thing on your face. Throw it over your head. <laughs> that would be awful. Uh, well, Especially the white kind. <laughs> Anyway, I have a travel update. My roommate is going to be leaving sometime in early June. Oh. She has travel plans. Doubles as your daughter? Who doubles as my 24-year-old. Mm -hmm. She is going to be leaving here, flying to New York for several days, okay. seeing friends, okay. collecting her resort wear, of which she did not bring any here. Okay. But she's going on to ultimately go to Holderness, New Hampshire. But in the meantime, she's flying from New York 
York. I think she's getting a test right before she leaves. Then she's going to go to Manchester, New Hampshire, where her aunt has an apartment. She's going to quarantine there for two solid weeks. And then I guess get another, no, I guess she's getting the test at first, then quarantining for two weeks to make sure that she doesn't have the virus yet again. And then she will- What, what? From all the travel. From from all the travel, yes, exactly. And then she will go on to Holderness, New Hampshire, which is where On Golden Pond was filmed. Oh, yes. You're my knight in shining armor. Now, isn't there a Lake Winnipesaukee also somewhere up there? Yes, Lake Winnipesaukee is, as someone I know who had a compound in Lake Winnipesaukee said, oh, Squam Lake is that little lake that feeds into Winnipesaukee, which it is. And it's a unique place on the planet because it's held by mostly three family trusts. And Mm. so most of the people who live there um, live there during the summer. They're based elsewhere, usually in Boston or thereabouts. And they come in for the summer. They know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Those three families know each other. Right. So it's very special. And there are islands all throughout the Uh lake. And it's just really a paradisical place. Hmm. And where Catherine will be staying is in a home that looks over the lake and or a big cove in the lake and Mm -hmm. one of the major islands. And so she'll be there probably through... August, I'm thinking it's a little hard to be with that many family members for longer than a couple of months. But there's lots of rooms you can go, probably. Many rooms. And when you're outside, there's a lot of outside. Yes, there's there's a lot you can do outside. It's not quite warm enough yet. And what we hear is that it's very buggy at certain times of the day. You know about bugs. I do. And I know about ponds in New Hampshire because my friends had a house on Cunningham Pond in Peterborough. In Peterborough, okay. The mosquitoes were just nasty. They're terrible. If you're hiking in the woods, you really have to have every inch covered. And you have to put DEET on your face in every single orifice because it is really brutal. So she will be there. It's going to be great. There's a lot of family, but there's a lot to do Mm -hmm. and I'll miss her. I mean, I'll be sorry to see her go, but I think it'll be time by the time she does leave. She's going to a better place. She's going to a better place. She is. And I will have terrible FOMO while she's there because I I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but Zoe has a dog that she got in October and you met the dog. Did you meet the dog? Yeah. At Christmas time. Oh, that's right. Right. Was it last, last Christmas? It seems last like Christmas. Yeah. And the two aunts, each one has acquired a brother from another litter, a, a newer litter of Bear, their Norwich Terrier's oh, right. dog. Right. And so Bear, who is not even yet a full-grown dog himself, has two mm-hmm. tiny little puppies to play with. Oh, and it's nice. very, very cute. Ah. Yeah. That reminds me, if we want to segue at some point into media talk or film TV talk, I watched the documentary about Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds called Bright Lights. Oh, I think I saw that one right when they both died. Yeah, and she had a dog. She has this French bulldog that is with her constantly. Carrie Fisher yes. does. Carrie Fisher, right. Yeah. yeah, and you can see it. he really does perform the function of kind of helping her stay emotionally sound. Is know? it a therapy dog? Well, I don't know if it's formally been designated as such, but you can tell she travels with it. It's on planes with her and everywhere she goes. She's great. I mean, she was great. She was so aware of her bipolar disorder and she kind of had a little, at least in the parts that they showed on this documentary, she had enough detachment from it that it was like an old friend that she walked around with. It wasn't so much plaguing her, but it definitely had its moments. But I don't know. She held the experience of having this condition in what seemed to me to be a pretty graceful way. I was very impressed. 
I always wondered if she was one of those people that had medication and yet right. sometimes the medication didn't work or if she refused medication. I forget, did they go into that in the documentary? No, they didn't really go okay. into that. She mentioned her therapist once just making a joke. So they didn't really go into her treatment of it, but she talks about it offhandedly, you know, about the highs and the lows and she she names them. I think the low side, I think she named it Pam. And I think, <laughs> I think the, the manic side, she named Roy. Oh, so one of them came to visit on both come and visit. Yeah. Wasn't it that Debbie Reynolds died within just days? Yes, very soon after. And you couldn't help but even though she was in her 80s. She was was, very, very frail. It reminded me of the show I did with Maven Hughes. Maven is amazing for 89. She does not seem frail to me. No, her stamina is is incredible. I couldn't help but think of her when I saw Debbie Reynolds doing her very last nightclub show, you know, and how really difficult it was. But Carrie talked about how she's driven to do it. She can't not do it, even though her body's saying, no, she's going to do it anyway. Carrie Fisher died too young, and Debbie Reynolds just seemed to die of a broken heart. Oh, about losing losing Carrie, yeah. Yeah. You sure could see the love between them, and I think the two, knowing Carrie's side somewhat of the story just through her writing of, you know, the the downside of growing up in that kind of environment, especially with that kind of illness, to come out of it, well, she isn't really out of it, but to learn how to live with it and to have salvaged genuine love and affection for her mother, it was beautiful to see that. It is because it so much could have been the other way. Yeah, definitely. She could have separated. And that was the other thing that impressed me about both of them was their comfort level with the painful parts of their past. Well, she seemed like the ultimate survivor, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just seemed to have that gene. Yeah. And Carrie Fisher had it to a certain extent as well. Right. And she carried on. She followed through no matter what horrible thing had happened to her, you know, her diagnosis and all. That was fascinating. I really loved that. Well, I wish I could bring something new to the table. I've still been watching only America's Next Top Model and The Crown. So we've been binging here. Uh, Did I tell you I finished season four of Better Call Saul? Saul. Yeah, so now I'm just bereft. I have nothing to watch. Wait a minute. There's a fifth season. That's right, but it won't go to Netflix until like January or something. So I've seen a season that you haven't seen. If you saw it on AMC, you've seen further than I've seen. Okay, I paid for it. I paid for each episode. So yes, I've seen that season. And then there's a a sixth season that's happening. That's right. That's the last one. I've seen up to where Jimmy gets his law license back. And And he becomes Saul. He really becomes becomes Saul. Saul. That's right. And also he's revealed, I mean, you knew this all along, but he's revealed in a really undeniable way as being a sociopath. The sense of just, he just is not capable of real empathy. It was kind of shocking, really. I think he's capable of empathy, but it's very, in very small doses to only one or two people right and the rest of it is just about making the money but isn't he a great character i love that show season four is it's audacious because it left me going shoot i've watched four seasons of this guy and he's kind of a bad guy you know and you know uh, in the next season he he proves himself to be much more complicated than that he isn't just a sociopath for one thing he really loves kim and that's undeniable throughout the entire series i don't know it's interesting. It's a great show because you're ambivalent about him, or I am anyway. Right. You like him, but there's stuff about him that you just can't like. Yeah, That's there are like. so many ambivalent characters like, I mean, Mike is a hitman. Yeah. And yet you care for him. You really right. want him to prevail. He has and his own sense of right and wrong that is very firm. But yeah. when he has to bump someone off, he has to bump them off. 
what is his name? Salamanca, the young man who you... Arga. What What's his name? Arga? No, the young one, he's really responsible for Hector being institutionalized. The young guy who was the kind of next in line, but Hector was very mean to him. And he knows all of the players. He knows Mike. He has a slang name that I can't remember. He has but... super short, almost all. Yes, yes. His well, father I mean, is in the upholstery mean, business. His father does... Michael Manzo. That's right. But so many of those characters, even Fring is oh, yeah. a mixture of someone who has a great work ethic right. and yet is frightening ability to just decide that someone needs to be taken care of. Oh, forget about it. Bad. Total sociopath. That's what's so fascinating and frightening about him is that he knows how to act nice. And so in the chicken restaurant, you know, how can I help you? And he, he's so nice, but it's an act. That's yes. so, so blood-curdlingly frightening about him. Yes, oh and God. he's even nice to his employees. Oh, yeah. No, there's a lot going on there. No, and you know, Breaking Bad was the same way. You love them and you hate them. But I did feel like and Breaking Bad, once they went over to the dark side, except for Jesse. Jesse had a soul, and he couldn't mm -hmm. break away from having a soul. Eventually, Walter did not have a soul. He really lost it. And Hank ended up having more of a soul than you thought he did. You thought he was just an asshole cop. He ended yeah. up having more colors than I'm, his wife I had. I watched Breaking Bad so long ago, I'm not remembering all of the details. Oh, his wife, her name was Marie, and Marie was a kleptomaniac. I think that's what makes those shows so fascinating. Yeah. It's how deep they go into character. I mean, the character is plot to them. Right. But they never made a character do something to service the plot. It was always that the plot was in service of the characters. Oh, yeah, interesting. There's an old Gene Hackman movie that I keep seeing on streaming all the time called The Conversation. That oh, that's a great like movie. That too, like that too. He's kind of a nobody, but he's the whole movie is around him and through him, you know? Yes, because he holds all the keys. Right. Because he's the one who's getting the conversation that right. is at the center of the film. And he's the one who's recording it. Yeah. So I saw it when it first came out and then I saw it several years ago. And boy, Gene Hackman is so great in it. It's by Coppola, isn't it? Or I don't is it Scorsese? Know. No, it's Coppola. It's Coppola. It's definitely worth watching again because it feels very contemporary. It's right. really about privacy. Yeah, and right. Somebody, I can't think of another word, hacking into other yeah. people's lives. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of privacy, I watched a Nova, a new Nova on PBS Passport about the coronavirus. Of course, it's very sobering and kind of unpleasant to watch, but it also has a very hopeful thread in it about the research that's going on for vaccines and the speed at which the research is happening. So they leave you with some hope. But they also mention that there's these two apps that you can sign up for on a volunteer basis if you want to. Oh, for tracing, right? Yes. And it's anonymous, they say. It's all done numerically. Yeah. No one knows who you are. Really? They, yeah. And it's just a, it's an experiment, basically, at this point. But they showed how in Wuhan right now, they have a very strict procedure yes. where you have to show your phone whenever you go into a public space. And your phone has to register a green light, which means that no cases have been traced to you in the last period of time. I don't know if it's a week or two weeks. And the tracer knows if you've been in the presence of someone who later came within a specified time period, later was diagnosed with the virus, 
and you get a red light and you can't go into the public space for seven days. They're, they're super controlling. And I thought, God, these people that are saying that their liberty is being taken away, they'll yeah. just well flip if we do something like that. Oh, yeah. But I thought it was kind of a smart thing. Well, it is very government imposed. And the Chinese, their thing is that they will submit to the government because the government will take care of them. Right. They've had all of these scandals that have really shaken their faith in the government. The coronavirus is one. There was a scandal where there were many children's like schools that were made with corrupt officials and they collapsed when there was an earthquake and killed many, many children. A lot of these scandals were around children. There, were, there was lead found in food. There were vaccines that killed the children instead of inoculating them. Mm -hmm. And just a number of things where it's been a national scandal, mm -hmm. but still they have this power. I mean, Xi Jinping, I was just talking to Catherine about it this morning, about how Hong Kong is now really going to be suffocated probably out of their autonomy. Right. And that's a tragedy because they were supposed to have autonomy until I believe 2047. Yeah, for 50 years because it was 97 when they yeah. got the land back from the British. Yeah, that's shocking. And I guess there's, I don't know, there seems to be nothing anyone can do. Yeah, We just don't know what's going to unfold. Maybe there'll be an exodus of people from there that don't want to live under that system. You know? Maybe, but where will they go? I don't know. It's so populous. It's, there's so many millions of people there. So I yeah. don't know. Not to change the subject, but there, did you see that they, they had this in the New York Times? Calais. Okay. <laughs> it's not Kelly, it's Calais. Uh, she held up a check that shows yes. that Trump was giving, did you hear about this? He uh -huh. was giving his salary. It had his routing number and his account number on it. <laughs> Good for her. Good for yeah. Kelly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. They are the gang that cannot shoot straight. I used to say that about the Bush administration because Dick Cheney shot his friend full of buckshot that one oh, time. Right. That's right. He shot him in the face. He shot him in the face. And then there was so much pressure on the poor guy that he ended up apologizing to yeah. Dick Cheney. Yeah. Did we ever think that things could get worse than Dick Cheney? We just well, remember how horrified we were at George Bush, and now he seems almost okay, you know? He seems like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> I mean, the things that horrified us that he didn't know the difference between a Shia and a Sunni, but that he was so willfully ignorant, and that was mm -hmm. so exponentially increased in the government that we have now in Trump, that yeah. it seems innocent and almost quaint mm -hmm. in a way. Well, I think on that happy note, <laughs> I I don't have anything more to add. But see, we made a whole podcast out of nothing. We made a cake out of crumbs, <laughs> which we both have experience in. We do, we do. <laughs> I made quite a cake out of crumbs. Who'd think it would come in so useful? <laughs> And could be put to such a positive purpose. Exactly, especially in these corona times. I feel just like Carrie Fisher. I feel like I've taken something horrible and painful and turned it into something hopeful and good. And you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for us, Boomers. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you in a week. Stay bye -bye. safe. Bye. Yes, yeah, stay safe. Bye-bye. Ah!